This is Bastering Out Loud, Lightning Round, Lightning Round, Lightning Round, with your hosts, Daniel Vizbicki. <laughs> just so everybody Dave knows, there's Zuniger. not an echo machine. That's just Daniel doing his own echo. Lightning Round, Lightning Round, Lightning Round. We're pastors here at the South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. We are. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about our church, you can go to Bethlehem.Church forward slash south. The introduction is different because... This is our final episode on eschatology, the doctrine of end times, and our plan. So we've just talked over the last 20 minutes about a couple different things, and just how to do this is two minutes, three minutes each, talk about a number of different things. Dave, how you feeling? I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm vibrant. Good. Dan- Daniel is a... Uh... I'm just gonna say it up front. Daniel has spent how many how many years just, did you spend going through Revelation and how many years? It was a long time. I mean, uh, several years, like three years. Three years. Yeah. In the Greek, yeah, read it slowly, in the Greek, slowly, yep, slowly over and over. So, do you want? Would you ever want our church to preach the Revelation? Um, I think that's come up on this podcast before, Dave. And uh, yes, Revelation twenty twenty three or bust, which is not a prediction about the end of all things, but just uh, a hope, uh, yea, an aspiration for us to preach through Revelation starting in 2023 oh. <laughs> after we finish uh, Genesis in 2022. I thought you were doing a, I thought you were doing a Revelation reference. Revelation no, 20. no, Revelation 20. What does Revelation 20, 23 even say? Is that actually, are there 23 verses in there? I don't know. Well, Revelation 20, 23. Nope. There are not. Nope. Only 50. Doesn't, doesn't, uh. What about Revelation 22, 3? Oh. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Amen. Amen. Which is a great preface for just like what all these things point towards and some of the speculation and definitely the fact that in our theological triage, you can go back and listen to that episode. It was one of the first ones we did. These are all third-tier things, things that we have great freedom to disagree about and still participate in the same church together. So even though this is a lightning round, lightning round, lightning round, we can uh, <laughs> we can go back and forth and talk about these things and speculate some with some uh, scriptural evidence without feeling the need to be like, well, we need to separate from each other. It's not healthy for us to be in the same body together for various things, which is interesting because Many Baptist churches mm-hmm. really cross their T's and dot their I's in this area. Mm-hmm. They say you must hold to a particular millennial view or a particular view of the tribulation or the rapture in order to be a member at their church. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that at Bethlehem. No. Nope. No. Nope. And indeed, elders, uh, as far as the eschatology article of the elder affirmation of faith, there's um, a lot of freedom there mm-hmm. for elders to disagree about this. Right. So. Third tier, Dave. Third tier. You ready? Yep. Okay. I'm not sure I am, but I pull up my notes and we'll we'll chat. Um, so is this like round one fight? <laughs> like like that? Well, no. This is yep. Not a fight. We're starting with you. Okay. All right. Hit so me. You're gonna tell us. Okay. Well, then I'm gonna tell us t- the views tell you afterwards. about the about the tribulation, and then you're you've got your little personal helpful. What I think is helpful take on it. Sure. So the, uh, the tribulation is a period of time uh, connected to the end times in the Bible. That is, uh, there's a debate about the length of time or exactly where it will be. 
Um, so I'll just list some of the views that are out there. There's uh, pre-tribulation. Um, that's in reference to what's called the rapture. So right. in First Thessalonians 4, there is uh, the Lord appears at the sound of Trump and the dead in Christ rise first, and then those that are alive in Christ will go up and meet him in the air and forever be with the Lord. Hmm. So there is a, uh, a belief um, that that is prior to, that that moment is prior to a coming tribulation upon the earth, and all of the saints will be removed from the earth prior to that actually taking place. So that's, that's one view. Another view is what's called the mid-tribulation rapture, which is connected to some prophecies in Daniel 9 through 12, um, and some particular readings of the book of Revelation that say that the church will be present for a period of the tribulation and then raptured away again. And then there's the post-tribulational view, which really runs the gamut and is probably more historic, um, more historically held by most Christians. Yep. Um, and essentially it says that the church will be in the tribulation period and that what's described in First Thessalonians 4 will happen after that's done more or less. So now as to some different things about what the tribulation actually is, I think there's a few different angles and a few different significant texts to talk about. So first and foremost is um, uh, very commonly it's thought of that the tribulation period will be seven years in length. And that's interconnected with Daniel Mm -hmm. chapter nine, Mm -hmm. um, which offers a, a prophecy. So Daniel is um, he's receiving a vision. He's got this angelic guide that's telling him things about what's going to happen to the people of Israel. And so Daniel, who's in exile in Babylon, receives this word in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and following. It says uh, in this prophecy he's receiving, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the prince of the People of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Then shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. You shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. For half the week you shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay. That's a lot right there. Um, and so typically what happens is if you are in the pre-tribulation or the mid-tribulational position, you look at that and you say, those weeks stand in for years. So if you add that all up, 70 years total in 70 weeks is 490 years. And typically what a pre-tribulational or a mid-tribulational person, uh, somebody that believes in that, will look at that and say, well, that started about the time that Daniel was in Babylon. And if you fast forward 490 years, Nothing really, or 483 years, nothing really significant was going on in the first century B.C. that looks really anything like this Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what they will typically say is that there's a gap in history. So you get the first seven weeks where there's the rebuilding of Jerusalem and other things. Well, we can see that in history. Then there's 62 weeks where really nothing happens. And then there's 
a break. And that break is an indeterminate amount of time. And that final week for Daniel, it's going to happen at the very, very, very end of days. Mm-hmm. And that really comes from starting to count those years based upon you thinking that uh, this is particularly when either Daniel received the vision or possibly where Cyrus decreed that um, people should go back to Israel in about 516 B.C., give or take. But if you look at Ezra chapter 7 and you take Artaxerxes, the Persian emperor's repeat of Cyrus's, Cyrus's decree, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. count 490 years, it's 33 A.D. Mm-hmm. So... If you look at the final week as— I'm learning so much. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the final week as coextensive with the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. um, or the the public ministry of Jesus or basically his adult years from his mid-20s on, you know, we're not exactly sure of his age at his death, but that makes uh, sense of it without needing to artificially put a gap in. But many people that believe in post-tribulation count the years that way uh, instead of— assuming that there's a gap in there. I think I covered everything. No, I didn't cover everything. The Bible talks about a couple other ways, you know, the the temple discourse by Jesus in, Hmm. what is it, Mark 13 and Matthew 25 talks about there's a great tribulation. Mm -hmm. I think that particular one that Jesus is talking about because he ties it into fleeing to the hills from Jerusalem Mm -hmm. before Jerusalem is destroyed, he's probably talking to his actual listeners, like, here's a tribulation, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed by the Romans flee before it happens. And then I think very interestingly in Revelation, we keep getting these pictures of tribulation, like Revelation 7, I think it is, where um, there are saints coming out of the tribulation that are dead in heaven. They've been killed. Um, and they're, you know, uh, longing for justice on the earth. I think a really interesting text there is that in Revelation 1.8, John, the author of the book, says... 1.9. One, 1.9, nine, sorry. Um, I'm just like free-forming here. Yeah, I'm reading it. Yeah, go ahead and read it. What does it say? It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, an account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Yeah. So, so he, says, he says he's a partner and a brother in the tribulation. Yeah, yeah. So he uses the article there which typically denotes like something in particular. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when if we look at the other instances of tribulation in Revelation, I think John is painting a picture of, he's taking symbolically what we see in the Old Testament, and mm-hmm. he's expanding it to say the tribulation period is in his day. And I would say by extension, we should treat the tribulation period as all the time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus fully acknowledging there will be a final intense tribulation um, just before Jesus returns. Um, But I wouldn't say that I would count that necessarily as seven years' time of a certain. But it could be. It could be. Dave, that's tribulation. That was not exactly a lightning round. Uh, I don't know. I get into, oh, wow, that was like eight minutes, man. You did great. Yeah, sure. All right, Dave. That was helpful. Who who, or what is the beast in Revelation <laughs> 13? <laughs> Revelation 13. Let me get there and I'll read it. Revelation 13. Well, there's a couple beasts, right? Yeah, there's Revelation two of them. 13. Yep. We've talked about this before uh, leading up to this. And, uh, you know, what, what people really zero in on is the mark of the beast. 
you know, often they, they go to like the end here, uh, verses 16 to 18. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. True. <laughs> Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, mm. which, you know, now shows up in every, like, ugly horror film out yeah, there all yeah. the time. So, I mean, if if you look at, at the beast, um, and, and my take has always been that it, it seems to be um, kind of these empires, you know, it could be tied to nation states, it could be tied to political regimes it could be tied to empires um but these these things that are that are rising up these systems rising up against christ against uh the gospel against the church um and one uh i forget where i heard this but someone once said about revelation you know revelation cannot mean to us what it could not have meant to the people it was written to and so I do think it, it's not hard to see John writing in this moment with the empires that were in control at that time and calling them, for example, the beast and yeah. the second beast. And, and this is going to keep happening. You know, we've talked about when I preached First Peter 5, we talked about how uh, Peter refers to Rome as Babylon. Yeah. And so there's this idea of these, these empires and Babylon, right? Is an, again, we talked earlier about Revelation. How So I was going back to the Old Testament and bringing in these pictures. Well, what was Babylon in the Old Testament? It was this nation that rose against God's people, yeah. took them into exile, uh, yeah. all sorts of pagan worship associated with it. So that's that's been... Yeah, as far back as Genesis 11. Correct. Like Tower of right. Babylon, like in, exactly. in Hebrew. Yep, exactly. So that's been my take is that, that these are going to be empires, systems, uh, things that rise up against the gospel, against yeah. Christ, against yeah. his people. Yeah, and I think it's important to see that the original readers almost certainly would have seen Revelation 13 as a present reality Correct. because of what's in Correct. Revelation 12, Yep, where it's clearly in the first half of Revelation 12 a picture of what happened when Jesus came yes. and when Jesus ascended yes. and consequently what happened to Satan with him being thrown to earth, no longer to have access to the throne room of God like he did in Job 1 and 2. Right. And what does he do? He starts hunting the saints. Yep. And then he is the yep. one that stands on the edge of the sea, the dragon does, mm-hmm. and seems to summon forth these beasts that's out of right. the sea and yep, from the right. land. Um, yep. And the one to, uh, you know, uh, persecute the saints and redirect worship. Um, and the second beast, yeah, to redirect worship towards the first beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the earliest recipients of Revelation would have seen this as the Roman Empire and the economic system and the worship system that fueled Roman, you know, the Roman economy, especially in the latter half of the first century AD. If you did not offer just a little pinch, just a little incense, uh, go read the story of Perpetua, who's a little bit later than that, but... Yep. Um, you know, a Christian being persecuted, that all she had to do to be freed from persecution was just to have, have a little, tiny little pinch of incense offered to the emperor yep. and to essentially bless his name, yep. swear allegiance to him, yep. and she would not. Yep. So I think that's what the earliest Christians probably would have received this as, which stands as a picture for what I think if, uh, and there are always empires that stand against God, 
whatever the final iteration of that will be, it's probably going to be something similar. Right. So right. Mark of the Beast is, pr- I mean, I would just say, is not going to be something that means less than renounce your allegiance to Jesus or worship Jesus and other things. Right. So right. Uh, I don't think it'll be a vaccine. I don't think it'll be a biometric chip unless those things mean in that last day you're renouncing your faith in Jesus or you're choosing to worship other things in addition to Jesus. So it it would be a a tangible, this is what you're doing by doing this. I mean, I I think it's helpful even as I've studied it, you know, verses seven and eight are kind of stuck in the middle. They're not all as exciting as the dragon and the beast and stuff, but as it's describing what's going on, it says also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Mm Mm-hmm. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Which we've seen those phrases before, right, already in Revelation 5, Revelation 7. There's going to be a redemption for every tribe and people and tongue and language and nation by the blood of Christ through this book of the Lamb. And so what we're seeing here is this. In that moment, how I think they would have read it exactly how you said. They're, They're seeing these empires who are demanding don't worship Christ, worship this. And that's the war always going on. Yeah. That's yeah. what's always happening. Yep, exactly right. So, and I think the what's what's clear in Revelation is either you're marked by God that's right. and you're sealed by him, yep. or you're marked by Satan and sealed by him. So that's right. take up your allegiance to the world and to Satan and face the wrath of God, or take up your allegiance to God and to Christ and face the wrath of the world and Satan, which one will you choose? Yep. Is the way yep. Revelation portrays it. That's exactly right. Um, and may we far rather face the wrath of uh, only he who can destroy the body and not both body and soul That's right. in hell. That's right. All right. We got to get quicker, don't we? Yeah, hit me. All right. We'll go faster. Antichrist. 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 Who is he? Singular. Singular. It's a okay. setup. So John, Antichrist only shows up in First and Second John, uh, John's two epistles. And there's a, a section about the spirit of Antichrist. Anybody that denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is an, an Antichrist. And then very, very interestingly, um, I think it's in Second John 7, I think it is. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So there are many deceivers, that means more than one, mm-hmm. but anyone who is that is the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So there's just this interesting like back and forth of like, there's there's a bunch of them in John's day. Mm-hmm. And we ought not think that there aren't any in our day or in every day since then. Right. And how do we know them? They deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and particularly, um, you know, uh, deny the fundamental truths, especially in First John. Um, are surrounding who Jesus is and especially the apostolic authority of the apostles, I think, in the written word of God. Right. And they right. say, uh, in essence, what Satan said at the beginning, has God really said? Correct. Has this actually happened? Correct. So, um, yeah. Sometimes the, the Antichrist is conflated with the beast as a person in right. Revelation. Right. I do really think that the beast, because the beast gets labeled all kinds of different things, uh, it says that it has you know, horns on its head that are many kings. I don't think that that's the best way to line those up. Mm-hmm. Maybe one 
is in Second Thessalonians 2, there's the man of lawlessness mm-hmm. that Paul says that Jesus Christ will destroy with the breath of his mouth um, when he comes. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't get called the Antichrist, but apparently yep. in that prophetic, um, not particularly symbolic, but pretty straightforward text, there's a person in the last day mm-hmm. that will be destroyed when Jesus returns yep. with the breath of his mouth. You could compare that with Revelation 19 and see a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an okay way to compare. Mm-hmm. But you don't really see the Antichrist as a specific term for those. So um, the man of lawlessness, whoever he will be, whenever uh, he's no longer restrained, which is right. a big, long thing we can talk about, right. um, is a final figure that will stand right. on the earth and right. be destroyed by Jesus at his coming. Yep. Yep. So Second Thessalonians 2. That's where the man of lawlessness is. Yeah. And similarly to what you said, you know, if, if, if you were going to make a case that maybe there's an, an antichrist coming, you know, an ultimate one, but there's many antichrists. Second Thessalonians 2 is really clear. There is a man of lawlessness coming yep. Yep. at the end who will be defeated. And already, verse 7, Second Thessalonians 2, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Yep. And so in one sense, it's, it's already here. And it's already working, and it's going to be manifest in kind of an ultimate way at some point in the end. Yep, yep. The second coming, not before the man of lawlessness, was a large exposition by Pastor John Piper yep. on Second Thessalonians 2 at the last pastor's conference, yep. Uh, yep. which was... 2019, right? Was it 2019 or 2020? Oh, was it 2020? It was 2020. It was 2020 right before. just this last year. Yeah. Right before the pandemic. I think that's an excellent uh, exposition of who the man of lawlessness is or what we see there. And then what really Paul's point is in bringing him up for those people that haven't experienced, seen the man of lawlessness and won't, like what ought they do um, in comparison to maybe speculating about what's coming or dates or other things like that, mm-hmm. Paul encourages them to launch themselves back into their work. Yeah, that's and right. And be faithful. That's right. So, uh, whose turn is it now? Round four. Uh, Fight or whatever it is. Rapture. Oh, did we talk rapture. about that kind of? Yeah, we, we already kind of talked yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So you already talked about it related to the tribulation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so if you're a. Uh, Do you want to relate it to the millennium? Oh, we can combine a few. Let's let's get to the millennium in a sec. So, I mean, rapture, typically discussions about the rapture uh, line up with and what which of those three views line up with what's called premillennialism, namely Jesus will return before the millennium found in Revelation 20. Um, They see uh, Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 as two successive events Mm -hmm. um, and not kind of a restating of different events. And so those views typically fall under there. But I think the post-tribulational view really lines up well with both views in what's called amillennialism and post-millennialism. Pastor John Piper, again, would be a post-tribulational premillennial. He doesn't think that um, the church will be raptured away in some kind of secret coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a particular article where he talks about why he thinks that's the case, biblically speaking. Uh, definitions and observations concerning the second coming of Christ. And he digs into some some things that we see in the Greek New Testament and some other things um, biblically, theologically, for why he thinks um, it's not the Bible's teaching that the church will be raptured away prior to the tribulation, prior to 
the actual second coming of Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. Um, he expects that that will happen. And I think I think you and I are probably both there as well. Yep. That yep. Uh, the tribulation will precede the final coming of Jesus. Right. And the church will be present, just like it was for Israel in Egypt and a lot of the things we see in the book of Revelation uh, and other places in Paul's letters especially, mm-hmm. that the church will be present but will not endure the wrath of God. Correct. But will endure the wrath of whatever worldly system is right. in place at that time. Yep. So um, it looks more like persecution. Yeah, it'll be persecution. Yep. Just like yep. just like Israel yep. was persecuted yep. by Egypt, but the plagues only yep. fell on the Egyptians. Right. So too the same. Um, I think it's right. the best That's way. Right. That's right. Best way to think about it. Um, is that enough about the rapture? Like there is a rapture. It's totally yep. it's totally biblical. It's just what happens immediately after that rapture is the question. Yeah, and what? so take us to the millennium. Yeah, so millennium uh, is Revelation 20. Yep. Um, the three historic views, I mentioned them, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. Premillennial, Christ will come before the millennium. Um, amillennial, the millennium, it's not that there is no millennium, it's that the millennium is happening. It's a long, symbolic, long period of time. Now. Yeah, now, in heaven. Mm-hmm. With where the saints are ruling and reigning with Christ, uh, those that have already departed, and in some mysterious way we have to. And then post-millennialism, the millennium will happen as a result of the gospel expanding and expanding. And then after uh, the world has been uh, sufficiently evangelized, shaped, Christ will return on the back end of We'll be ready for him at that point, kind of that view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of view. Yeah. So, um, and all three of those views have been held historically by various people. Probably premillennialism has been typically, you know, uh, extremely taken to be cults. Uh, amillennialism and a little bit postmillennialism in the 17 and 1800s grabbed onto by liberal Christians as more of their view. But all three of those views have been held at various times. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Edwards was, you know, a postmillennial, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, believed that uh, Christ would come after the millennium. Um, faithful brothers and sisters have believed in premillennialism and mm-hmm. amillennialism, mm-hmm. Uh, including mm-hmm. many people that we recommend and yep. talk about. All three views have been represented yep. um, in the history of the church. Yep. Uh, New Jerusalem, Dave. What do you think about the New Jerusalem? Yeah, the New Jerusalem. We've talked about covenants a lot here, uh, and I think that's a helpful way to to think about it. As, we, as you think of progressive revelation in the Bible— and you think of God's promise to his people to dwell with them in a land. You know, we, read, we can read the Old Testament and see that he makes those promises, he says, like, forever. Yeah. It's a promise forever. So we read that, and uh, we, we go, well, what, what does that mean? And I, I would say, in Christ, as the new people of God, uh, you could even say the, the new Israel of God, that this is an expansion. It, the promise has gotten bigger. Right. So that God's people... Will, ge- will be with God in his presence in this place, this new Jerusalem. Uh, we see it, it's, it's represented like this cube in Revelation. Um, but, but what's really going on there when you read about it is, is right, there's, no, there's no sin, there's no evil, there's no wrong, there's the, the curse in every way, in all of its depth, in all of its breadth, yeah. has been overturned. Gone forever. There's no need for the sun. We're just in the presence of the Lord, his people. He wipes away every tear. And so I, I, that, that's how I take it as this, uh, this place, the, the promise fulfilled, consummated, um, that we're going to be with him. Uh, be curious to hear what you think. We didn't talk about this before. I mean, is this, where is this place? 
Yeah. Where is it? Planet Earth, the imperial throne world of Emperor Jesus. Yeah. Like, honestly. Yeah, that's like what King I think. Je- yep. King Jesus rules the universe in that day yes. from Earth. Yep. That's um, my. That's what I think, too. Yeah. You know, shining out with Thought his glory, did. shining out into the universe. And just like Adam was originally intended to keep and guard the garden. Yep. Probably with a bent towards, this is speculating a little bit, but there's definitely some clues in the direction of expanding the garden. I think so. Um, I think yeah. there's, I think there, I mean, we don't have time to dig into it now, but I think that's exactly what yeah. the new heavens and new earth will be like, yep. is starting from the earth, the glory of the Lord going out into the cosmos, honestly. Ooh. So I, I'm a science fiction nerd. I mean, but so that maybe that's uh, my bias, my bent a little bit. Um, but I think that's, that's fun. I think that's what's yeah. going on in yeah. this symbol of yep. uh, a cube that's about the landmass, but much taller than <laughs> the full landmass of the Roman Empire at its height. Hmm. So if you're hmm. reading Revelation, suffering persecution, mm-hmm. and you see the size of this, not sure you're supposed to take it entirely literally in that way. Mm-hmm. There's an argument to be made for that. But what you're supposed to say is this is so much grander of a space than all of those cube shapes in the Old Testament at the center of the tabernacle, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. the center of the temple, expansion. the Holy of Holies. It's an expansion. Yeah. Yep. An expansion maybe even meant to be a reference point for these people reading it in their day to go. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a better kingdom coming. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. In contrast, the New Jerusalem, there's Babylon. We could talk about that. We won't. We talked, referenced it a little bit. First yep. Peter five, um, and then I think Revelation eighteen. Revelation eighteen says that the beast has seven horns, which are seven mountains or seven hills. You could translate it either way. And on them, the the whore Babylon, who's a city, sits. I don't think that you, if you're reading in antiquity, you're a first century. Anybody reading this would do anything other than say. Hey, this is Rome, the city on right. seven hills. Right. So right. Babylon in that day definitely is Rome, but there were other Babylons before and other Babylons since, and there will be a final Babylon uh, at some point. So I think that's the best way to read it. In in contrast to this New Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, you know, the city of God, the city of man, Saint Augustine's uh, great great work yep. contrasts that. That's right. Um, yep. And two different two different cities with two different goals, two different ends. Is there anything else we want to talk about, Eskatel? Wow, this has been a 30-minute episode. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> lightning round. Long, I mean, slow lightning slow round. Slow, right, yeah. Or yep. like uh, rolling thunder round. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Something. No, it's been good. I, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, I can't either off the top of my head. So we'd encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast and you just heard us, you know, bounce around about a bunch of different things, you're wondering like, hey, what is the uh, textual basis for this? Are there good articles for, you know, the view of, uh, you know, uh, Artaxerxes saying that it's counting it from Artaxerxes instead of from Cyrus and other things like that? I, there's a lot of, you know, stuff that we can point you towards. Shoot us an email, give us a call, catch us at church, and we'd be happy to talk more. What's the, what's the book that you like? The, uh, the one that I gave you? Yeah. 40, qu- 40 questions on the end times. Uh, it's part of the 40 Questions series. And is it Schnabel, Eckhart Schnabel? I think that's right. Um, so pretty great series, I'd say, overall. is uh, Yep, so it's 40 Questions About the End Times and the 40 Questions and Answers series by Eckhart Schnabel. I will buy a copy of that book, and so will Dave. Yep. For the first two people, 
Because you that. you hung in here with us for a long episode. Yes. We promised a so lightning round. If you got round. to the end, you get a free book if you email us. We will conquer First. in the end. Amen, brother. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs>